Well, I heard some good judging in there. I'm not sure. I like your hair. I don't like your... No, that was not going on. Well, we are starting a new series, like I said, called Questions Jesus Asks. And if you know anything about Jesus, one of the key devices he used in his teaching, besides telling incredible stories, were asking questions. It was one of the key devices he used. And over 130 times in Scripture, Jesus would ask provocative questions, especially to the religious people of the time. And the majority of the questions were rhetorical, meaning he was using the question to create a dramatic effect. Not so much to give a clear answer, but rather to make a strong point. And so Jesus had a way of asking the right questions at the right time. And it would make his audience really search their hearts to give them potentially a new perspective and push them towards a new way of living. So over the next few weeks, that's exactly what we're going to look at. It's a few of these questions. And today we're going to look at the question, why do you judge? And whether we realize it or not, all of us have probably felt judgment on us. And certainly all of us have judged others. Sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing it, but it's sort of part of what we do. All of us jump to conclusions about people, have strong opinions about situations. All of us have this sort of rolling dialogue in our mind. In fact, like I said, I had, uh, I've been very open about depression, anxiety, different things and fears in my life over a period of time, especially when I was younger. And, and so when I got to my early 20s, uh, my dad, who's the complete opposite of me, he's Mr. Positive. He's like, oh, everything's great. Okay, that's why I don't like you. And then so he would tell me, uh, he would say, hey, you know, you got to really pay attention to the things that you say in your mind, the rolling dialogue that you have in your mind. So I bought this book called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. Not kidding. That's the name of the book. It was written in 1991. In fact, recently I went back and bought it again because I was like, was that just a weird book or did I actually learn something? But, uh, you know, and the whole premise of the book is that you're constantly talking. You have this rolling dog effect. Science would tell you that you are talking to yourself all day long. And so if you're, and this is a side note, but if you're someone that struggles with depression, you're someone that struggles with darkness, guess what? That's a big place to start this rolling dialogue that we have in our minds. And so I got this, and one of the exercises you're supposed to do is you're supposed to take a piece of paper or whatever, and you're supposed to walk through your day, one day, two days, and you're supposed to write down the thoughts that you're having. And so you'd walk, I'm not kidding you, I got done with about a half hour, I had 20 pages filled, right? I was like, I'm really messed up. And I had, and, and if you could plug a, a, a wire into the screen and show my thoughts, oh my goodness, they were so negative and they were so judgmental. You know, I'd be looking at see a kid, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, like, now I know why lions eat their young or whatever. I had all these crazy judgmental thoughts. And... It's unbelievable when we do it. I would challenge you to do that sometime. It's, it's unreal what we have because we have this kind of rolling thing. We judge people. Sometimes we, don't, we realize we're doing it. It's in our subconscious. It's talking to us all the time. And so we have this video where we've had several people that we interviewed and talked to that really have felt judgment on them. Some from a different country that's part of our congregation that are trying to understand the language. And they're doing a great job, but they don't quite understand. They feel this judgment. We have one uh, woman that was born 100% deaf. She got a device put in her ear to help her hear. So now the deaf community doesn't judges her for that. And the non-deaf community judges her because she can't quite hear or speak clearly enough. We have a teenage mom uh, who got pregnant in school and was ignored or really pushed away by her teachers and friends that they thought they loved her. They even to this day send her text messages that I won't even tell you what they call her. And so you have this unbelievable judgment. And so we had them uh, just step in front of the camera. Now, here's what I want you to do. 
Here's what I want you to try to do. As you watch the video, and then uh, Jalen and the team are going to sing a song. As you watch the song, we're going to put up faces. I want you to pay attention to the rolling dialogue that you have in your mind. I want you to pay attention that when you see a certain face, or you hear something, or you read something, what comes to your mind? Just try to pay attention, and then we'll see what God does in this particular service. I know I made some mistakes, but point to the person who hasn't. I bet when I walk away, you say all sorts of stuff about me. Some of it may be true. But I bet a lot of what you say isn't. I try not to get upset by being judged or criticized, but it's hurtful. Do you even know the hurts from my past? Whatever I've done in my life so far, whether right or wrong. There is probably a reason. How would you know? Maybe I just need to be loved. No matter what you say. You're bankrupt without love. Love doesn't give up. Love cares more for others than self.
love that song, one of those lyrics. And isn't it interesting, potentially, the thoughts that you might have monitored as you watched images, saw faces, seen persons, just to take note of some of that. And maybe it was a lot, maybe it was a few, maybe there wasn't many at all. But it's interesting because it's kind of part of our nature, I believe, at times to pass judgment, to be judgmental. Many times we're not aware of it. And I believe Jesus knew that about us. Jesus actually talked and told us that we can judge, but there's a way to judge and there's a reason to judge. And that's what we're gonna look at today. And hopefully we'll turn it on its head a little bit because Jesus always turns things opposite of what we think. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that we can gather in this moment. Thank you for your thoughts. Thank you for your word. Lord, I was struck this week, Father, by your son, Jesus. I was struck by the thought that he never had one holy un, uh, an unholy thought about any person. That he was perfect. And he looked at every person and saw what you see in He never had an unholy thought or a judgmental thought that wasn't rooted in your redemptive love in your work. And so, Father, we want that. I want that for our community. I want that for me. I want that for our community, Lord. And so lead us that way. Let us see people how you see people. Let us step into hard situations, but let us bring your powerful truth and your powerful grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Christian church has had a reputation for being judgmental. In fact, uh, there was a book written in 2007 called Unchristian. And basically these two authors went around and found people that weren't following Jesus, that weren't Christ followers. Then they interviewed him and asked them about Christ followers and about the church. And it was interesting what they found out. That being judgmental alongside anti-gay and hypocritical were the top three most widely held negative perceptions of followers of Christ. And then they define judge, judging in this book. And so I wanted to use this definition uh, and then we're going to use it and bring it back at the end and kind of give it another twist. But this is the definition they use to judge. To judge is to point out something that is wrong in someone else's life, making the person feel put down, excluded, and marginalized. Looking at someone's life, judging them, and then making them feel put down, excluded, and then marginalized. And at its worst, I think being judgmental is rooted in self-righteousness. Meaning that we judge someone to tear them down and build ourselves up. It's more about us than them. And what the authors found is this this perception of Christians by non-Christians is that we judge and we judge harshly. There's an old saying that some people credit to Mahatma Gandhi. We're not sure about that, but the saying is this in its power. It says, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Ugh. We don't know who wrote that, but that sentiment is powerful and it's challenging. Because the whole point of following Christ is that we become more like him. But we're not perceived in that way. And as followers of Christ, we believe that God has the power to transform lives. That's what we've already talked about. It's unbelievable the power that God has to transform communities and individuals. 
And so we believe that and we want to share that. In fact, last night, Jalen and I, after service, we went to, to the hospital. We had to visit a friend of mine's not doing well. And so we prayed for him. And then we found out that someone else was there and they asked if we would go and walked in, just knocked on the door and walked into the hospital room. This lady had no idea who we were. And we were just walking in and she was like <laughs> a little scared. And I told her who we were and she's relieved. You know what the power was? We held her hand in this moment. We were strangers. And at the end of the prayer, she's like, oh, you could see the power in her. God has power to transform and to touch and to bring love and joy and peace and power and kindness and authority. He has all these things. And we believe that as I believe that to my core. But over the history of the church, there have been so many times that we've stumbled trying to bring Christ to the world in such a judgmental way and judging the world as we do it. We failed. And then the world says to us, don't judge. Even Christ says not to judge. I've heard that so many times in the hard conversations I've had to have. I'm like, you're right. Matthew 7 says that. It says, don't judge. Christ did say that. That was one part of it. We're going to look at that today. But you know what else Christ said? He said, but there are situations where you do judge. And there are people that you do speak strongly and bring truth to and judge. And so is there a contradiction there? I don't think so. I really don't believe so. But we live in a time right now that is literally labeled a judge-free zone. We, we live in planet fitness right now, just so you know. <laughs> right? Which, by the way, that is such a lie. Planet fitness is not judge Everyone's judging everyone. They cover up those plates, but every guy's sneaking around and looking to see how much he's lifting. He's like, three plates, you got to be kidding me. This guy's weak. No, this is happening all the time. It's just, it's just under the surface, right? But we live in this kind of judge-free zone. And what I'm hoping today is we can take this word judge and we can reframe it. And by the end of our time, I'm hoping that we can even redefine judgment through the framework and the mindset of Christ. Because if we can do that, I really believe that judgment becomes useful. It becomes powerful. It becomes hopeful. It actually becomes a way that we move forward and becomes helpful. And so God doesn't tell us not to judge necessarily, but he does tell us who to judge. Scripture is very clear that it says that we, as Christians and followers in this room of Christ, we are not to judge those who are outside of the church. Meaning we are not to judge those who have not committed their life to Christ, that are not following Christ, that are not following his ways. I made, I've made that mistake so many times. I'm not kidding you. And I, I feel terrible. About 10 years ago, there was a guy that was on our, our team. And I was running this particular team at the time. And, and I brought him in my office. And he was doing a particular stuff. And I set him down. And I just assumed everything was this. And I laid it out and just gave him the hard truth. I'm not kidding. He got up. He's like, I've never felt so judged. He left our team. He went out into the music community. He told everyone I was the devil. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. He said it was same. Even to this day, I hear stuff back. And I realized when I set him down that he wasn't following Christ. He hadn't made that commitment. And I came at him with these rules that had, he had no framework of that at all. And it was fractured. That was my fault. And many times we'll do that. And so we're not called to judge those outside of the church. But then God says, but you are allowed to judge those inside of the church. You are allowed to judge those that you know are following. Doug, you and I know that we follow Christ, right? And if you see me doing something on the stage or outside of here, <laughs> that's right, you're going like this. No, 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 but you need to come to me 
It doesn't matter if I'm like the pastor. Who cares about that? I am claiming that I'm following Jesus. You need to come to me and say, hey, that's not the ways of Christ. You need to challenge me, and I need to do that with you as well. And we have that. Now, look, that doesn't always go well either. Because that's hard. It's hard to hear the truth. Any person, it's hard to hear the truth. And we're counting on the Christ between us to actually make up the difference. But those are hard, hard conversations. But we are called into doing that. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 5. He says this. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. He's like, that's God's work. Inside, you hold each other accountable to the ways of Christ. Outside, you leave that to Jesus. So as Christ followers, God gives us permission to judge each other, but not those outside. So he tells us who to judge, and then he starts to tell us how, meaning he starts to give us the posture of our heart as we step into difficult situations. He starts to define the heart of Christ for his followers as we have to step into hard conversations and bring hard truth. When Jesus came into the world at that time, there was a lot of tension with the religious elites. And there was a spirit of judgmentalism. And there was speaking down into people and putting chains on people metaphorically and holding them down and controlling them. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in the Gospel of Matthew, speaks so strongly to this. He speaks against it. And he pushes against it. And so he speaks to that, and he speaks clearly, and he gives us a rather humorous kind of challenging image in the midst. And so let me share this with you. It's in Matthew 7. He says this, do not judge. He's speaking to the the, the whole kind of elite there and with everyone around. He says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then he says this. Go ahead. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? It's a great scripture. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in, your own, in someone else's eye when you, you have a plank in your own eye? And that happens all the time. I'm telling you what. I am an expert at finding fault in my wife. I'm the best. I mean, I see every little speck that's wrong with my wife. And I point it out. And I'm really good at pointing out, like, that's really wrong, Amy. That's wrong, too. That's how I spent my first 15 years of marriage, right? And it didn't go well. But we are amazingly talented at finding flaws in others. Because I can see it right now. No, I'm just kidding. But we're amazingly talented at finding, but we struggle finding in ours. I love this story my dad told me about my Uncle Reach. My Uncle Reach passed years and years ago, uh, probably over 25 years ago. And he was awesome. And he went to his like 40th or 50th high school reunion. <laughs> he listened to the reunion and he comes home. They were from Pennsylvania. So he comes home. My dad says, hey, Reach, how did it go? And he's like, oh, my goodness. These people are so old. <laughs> and my dad was like, Reach, you're old. You know, like, you can't see it. Right. We can't see it. And then God gives us this great image. Here's the image. I don't want you to forget it. He says, you have a plank. And it's in your eye. And you're walking around like this. And you're saying, oh, man, this this is my marriage right here, first 15 years. Come on, Amy. Are you kidding me? Dinner's not done. No, I never did that. But I was like, what's wrong with you? You're always judging me. You never make me feel right. What's wrong with you, Amy? And all all the while, I have this in my eye. And it was always boom, 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 first 15 years. How'd that go? Well, it didn't go well. 
but I have my plank. I never saw it. I mean, think about it. Even if I hold this up, I can barely see you guys. I have like split images, right? And Christ addresses that. He, this is what he says. He says, how can you say to your brother, and I would say brother or sister, how can you say to your community, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? And then he says this, you hypocrite. That's another one of the top three, by the way, in the unchristian book, being hypocritical as followers of Christ. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly... Listen, don't miss that. Take it out. Why? So you will see clearly. And then what? To help remove the speck from your brother's eye. We hear this. This is a pretty famous scripture. But there's a lot to it. It's funny, but it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. How can you do this? If you have this in your eye, how can you see clearly? It's, it's sort of like when you're on a plane, you know, and you hear that, well, you know, if the cabin loses pressure, there will be a mask and it will fall down in front of you and put the mask on first and then help the person next to you, right? Why? Because you won't be able to breathe and you won't be any good to the person next to you. Saying first, what he's really saying is this, first, let God heal you. First, let God heal you. Let him take the plank out of your eye. And when he heals you, you guess what you get to do? You get to offer that healing to someone else. It's a beautiful picture. He's saying, let God heal the plank in your own eye. Look at yourself. And as he heals you, you get to offer that. We need to deal with our brokenness first before we offer someone else advice. We need to offer others after Christ has worked on our hearts. It's the most profound moment in my marriage. That's what really made the switch. And then Christ goes on to say, and there's a way to do this. There's this, there's this, there's dynamic that happens when you do this, but you need something else as you step into these hard situations. There's an, this answer is, is not easy. It's very tricky. It's tension-filled because whenever Jesus interacted with people, there were two sort of opposing dynamics that happened that allowed him to judge and to step in and speak hard truth to people. And Jesus is offering that to us. And we find this out in the Gospel of John. We start to see these two opposing ingredients that we need as we step into hard conversations. And here's what the Gospel of John says. Said the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. By the way, Christmas is close. That's what Christmas is. God came from afar and he came in. He dwelled among his people, Emmanuel, God with us. He said, the word become flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came for the father full of what? All right, say it. Full of? One more time. Full of? Full of grace and truth. Go ahead. Full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Meaning if you are following Christ, there is grace upon grace that God has given. For the law was given through Moses. Now, Scripture says that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So Jesus is fulfilling all of the law. He says fulfill the law. And then what? Say it again. What? Grace and truth came through who? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. So as you're healing and you step into this, Jesus says, look, you have to take with you two things. You have to have two things in your pocket. You have to be loaded with two things, grace and truth. 
And those seem opposing. This is what grace says. Grace says you're forgiven. Truth says you're accountable. Grace says you're accepted. Truth says you're broken. Grace says I love you no matter what. Truth says you have work to do. Grace and truth, these seemingly opposing forces. And look, for the parents in the room, you know this to be true. Usually as parents, you have grace and you have truth. This is Amy. This is my wife. This is me. You know, the, kid, the boys go to Amy, would you scratch my legs? Would you rub my head? Oh, it's okay. Everything's okay. And I'm like, come on, get up. Get something done. You're wasting time. Like, I'm just like, boom, boom, boom. And Amy's grace. Grace and truth. And here's the beauty of relationships. It is the combination of both. Because churches are the same way. There are churches that are all about truth. That's the the denomination I grew up in. Truth, 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 no grace. And you start to feel so, ugh. And then I went to a church that was all grace. Anything goes. And you start to feel like, I have no bound, I'm lost. Grace and truth. The combination of both of those are powerful. And we are at our best individually in our homes as churches when we embrace grace and truth and refuse to let them go. When we refuse to let them go. And Jesus embodied this idea of truth and grace every time. So I want to show you a matrix. Because I think when you see this matrix, it starts to come more and more alive. So look at this. When you are low grace low truth, something happens. You start to create an environment that people feel unloved. When you have low grace and low truth, people feel unloved. Here's what it is. What I would say about this is this is indifference. It's like, I'm not gonna show you any grace, unmerited favor. I'm not really gonna show you any truth. I'm not gonna really lay down any truth. It's, the, it's those environments where we're like, I don't really care. In fact, I'll say you this, and this is just my own personal thing. I'd rather someone hate me or love me, but I can't stand indifference. And this quadrant is indifference. I'm not gonna show you grace. I'm not gonna show you love. People feel in those environments unloved, uncared for, right? When you have high grace and low truth, guess what you start to do? Enable, become enabled. So when you have high grace, meaning you're just showering, this is where we find a lot of addiction. A lot of issues. You says where the, the kids are running the home instead of the parents. You're showing you're showering kids with a lot of grace, but you're not willing to stop and say, but no, you are not going to do this. You're just like, oh, it's okay. Everything's all right. Okay. And then it's chaos, right? And you enable that. If you come down here where you have low grace and high truth, guess what starts to happen? People feel judged. When it's all about truth, and look, I'm going to be honest with you. If I default as a parent, sometimes I default there. I can make my kids feel judged. Every one of my kids have come to me with that. Now, I, I'm going to be confessional as well. I've told you this. I'm not kidding you. I probably have an A-plus in this department. Every time I have to preach a message, at some point during that week, I fail at the message. And I failed last night. I preached this message last night. I go home. One of my boys comes home. He's struggling. He made a mistake. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Did you really do that? All you had to do was, and he was like, right up to his room. Why? Because I laid this down, but I did not give him any of this. 
and he feels this. But here's the beauty. We're all gonna sort of live in this at different times of our lives, but where we should be heading is here. When we have high grace and high truth, this is Jesus. Jesus held these, high grace, you are fully loved and you are fully accepted by your heavenly Father. But listen, this is not acceptable. And when I treat my children that way, look, kids are never gonna tell you they want the truth, please. And I always tell them you can't handle the truth. No, I don't say that, but. (laughs) But kids don't want the truth, but really they do. And when you're saying, look, you are fully loved, when I'm at the best in my parenting, this is where I live. I live right here. Because I am high grace, same with Amy. When we are parenting the best, we are high grace, we love you, we accept you no matter what, we'll do everything we can, but I'm telling you what, you are not gonna do this. This is not the best for you. And this is every encounter, pretty much in scripture, where Jesus met people, he took this. For some reason, the woman caught in adultery felt this. You are fully loved, go sin no more. Every encounter he had with the tax collector, with his closest disciples, with all of these people, he brought full grace, full truth. God, full of grace, full of truth. So how do we take these thoughts and reframe the question of our day? Why do you judge? How do we reframe it? Why did Christ judge? What was his motives? You know, what was his end game? Why do we even care about somebody else? Why would Christ even step into these hard situations? Why? And that's where I think we find the purpose of our church. If I think about my own children, what's my end game? What is my end game with my children? To help them live more open, honest, powerful, truthful lives, to help them not get caught in the snares of this world. So what if all of us here in this church who are following Christ start to judge, look at judging in a different way? What if we start to look through a different grade? What if all of us started to see people in a different way? So all of these faces that were up on the screen in that song, what if all of a sudden we started to look at people in a way that Jesus looks at people? What would that look like? What if we started to see people as our brothers and sisters, our sons and daughters, our mothers and fathers, what if we started looking at people as family? To see everyone, that's our mission statement, to see everyone transformed and mobilized by Christ. What could that look like? And so I wanna walk you through a scripture that's found in Philippians and give you a vision of that. Before we do that, we're gonna receive our offering. We're also gonna take communion at the end of the day as well. But as uh, ushers prepare and they come down, thank you for being part of uh, this, this movement, when I listen to the story of Roma and I listen to Steve's vision of why we're part of this, man, it just fills my heart. And Amy and I give because it's an act of worship for us. This is our chance to say, God, we're grateful for what you've done in our lives and we give back because we wanna see this spread. So be part of that. If you're brand new, this does not have to be your moment. Of course, you can pour in and dump a ton of money in there if you want, but you don't have to. Your actual uh, starting point is something that we call starting point. If you just walk out in the lobby a little to your right, uh, there is a table there that'll say starting point. There are people with orange shirts. We'd love to give you a gift and hear your story and connect you to this big place. But I want you to give you a vision of what this could look like if we judged or stepped into hard situations with a different mindset of Christ. The apostle Paul experienced 
An unbelievable moment with Jesus. But before that, he was the biggest judger of people. <laughs> and especially people that followed Christ. And then he had this unbelievable experience with Jesus. And all of a sudden now he has a different mindset. And so in the book of Philippians, he starts saying to Christ followers, you need to have the same mindset as Christ. And so I want to use this very challenging couple of verses to frame everything that we've talked about. This is what Philippians says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Look, if we took this, this, these two little verses, and we stuck them on our walls, and we put them on our refrigerators, and we put them in our cars, if we live this as a community, as Christ followers, the world would profoundly change. In fact, I would say this. If we would live this, no one would feel judged. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Nothing. Do nothing out of vain conceit. Rather what? With a humble heart, value others above yourself. Paul's saying if you want the mindset of Christ, then you have to look at people and value them higher than your own life. Value everyone above yourself, not looking to what you want and your interests, but each of you to the interests of the other person. Why does Paul say this about Jesus? Why does he say that this is the mindset of Christ? Think about what Jesus did. And he goes on to say this in Philippians. He said, this is how Christ lived. If you want to live this, if you want to live like Christ and be like him, this is how you live. He submitted his own, you can bring up that list. He submitted his ambitions to God. We need to submit our ambitions to God. In fact, it says that, that he humbled himself so much so that he came in a form of a human. And there was never a moment that he did anything unless he asked his father. He submitted his ambitions he humbled his heart, said humbled his heart to the point of actually becoming human. Humbled his heart to the point where he actually went to a cross and gave his life. He valued others so much that he gave his life. I will lay down my life for everyone. And then it, I put treat others like family. You know why? Because Jesus said, I will submit my ambitions. I will follow my God. I will humble my heart. I will go to the cross and give my life because I want everyone to know they're valued. And I want everyone to know that they're part of a family. That's the mindset that Christ had. And if we reframe that opening definition of judging over this mindset, this is what I like to do. So here's the original judge. To judge is to point out something that is wrong in someone else's life, making the person feel put down, excluded, and marginalized. But if we live in this other mindset... If we live with taking the plank out of our own eye, if we live by looking at others more valuable than ourselves, if we live by living low and humble, if we live by laying down our ambitions and trusting God, guess what this judging turns out to be? It says to judge is to point someone towards Christ, making them feel loved, challenged, cared for, convicted, covered in grace, and able to hear truth. Now here's the secret. God says that we judge those inside the church and we don't judge those outside the church. But if we live this way as Christ followers, you know what? 
You can talk to anyone, anyone, because they will feel loved. That's why Jesus could talk to someone so far from God and they felt loved. It's an unbelievable purpose and vision for our lives. Judging isn't to point somebody, something out to somebody so that you're better in their way. No, I, I point something out in your life because I want your life to flourish even more than my own. You know, I have friends and family in the LGBT community, and I've taken the last five years to really dive into hard conversations. Jesus had hard conversations, the hardest. He stepped into the most uncomfortable positions. I want to step into those positions. And so that's a, a tension in our culture, the LGBT community and Christian faith. And because I love my family members that are part of that and I love my friends, I step into those conversations. And I'll tell you something, the minute... I sit at a table with someone in that community, they're ready to go. They're ready to fight. Like, bring it on. I know you're going to judge me. And after hundreds of conversations, I have found that I can speak to anyone as long as I value them more than myself. As long as I love them like Christ loved them. As long as I take the plank out of my own eye. And I always start the conversation the same way. Hey, can you tell me your story? Tell me your story. I want to hear your story. There's, a, there's a, some, a story that I read in a book a while ago. It said a guy was on a subway, and he's sitting on there, not the subway shop, but an actual subway. Then he's sitting on the subway, and a dad comes in with his kids, and the dad lays his head back and closes his eyes, and the kids just run all over the subway, and they start poking at people and hitting people and causing this ruck and this chaos, and everything's going nuts. And this guy next to him was like, man, What's wrong with this guy? He's the worst father. Well, he's take care of his kids. And then finally he hits him. He's like, dude, are you going to take care of your kids? And the guy opens his eye and he's like, oh, man. Yeah, I probably should do that. He's like, they just lost their mom an hour ago. I just lost my wife an hour ago. She just died. So. And in that moment, he thought, my gosh, I don't know his story. If we want to be a community that people will come to to find truth and grace of Christ. We have to live out in such a different way. People have to know that when they're across the table and you're a Christ follower, that you love them and value them above yourself. That you're laying down your ambitions for them. That you're following a king that came low, not a distant king that comes over, but is among. Man, that's a different deal. And then you know what offering becomes? Offering becomes, or, or a judgment becomes an offering. So the minute I took this out of my eye in my marriage, and I said, okay. And I put it down, and I said, okay, Lord, work on me. Let me humble my heart. Let me lay down my ambitions in this marriage. Let me actually try to treat Amy better than myself. You know what started to happen? God started to heal me. And then you know what started to happen? I offer so that speck, I can still see a lot of Amy's specks, believe me. I don't point them out anymore. I just don't do it. You know what I do? I say, hey, this is what I've learned. I offer it to you. And you know what that becomes? Your judging becomes an offering of Christ. And you know what Christ is? Christ is truth, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Christ is the answer. It's a powerful, isn't that a powerful different mindset than just judging? I'm gonna bring the truth. No, truth and grace. Bring Christ. Be like Christ. 
where people who are in difficult situations are drawn to Jesus. That's what we're called to do as followers of Christ. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you for your challenge. Thank you, Lord, that we live in tension. Things aren't supposed to just be easy. We live in tension-filled world. Lord, help us to understand this concept. Help us to lay our life down. Help us to pull the plank out of our eye. Help us, Lord, and let us be more like you. Humble our hearts. Draw us to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we're going to do is take communion. Communion is a beautiful way, and it's an act that God gave us to remember. Because whenever we remember what someone has done for us in this, even if you put it and equate it to this world, if you remember what someone has done, you know what starts to happen? Gratitude builds in your heart. You can't help it. Someone has done something for you. And so in communion, this is, this is an act where we take it and we remember what God has done. And so as the bread is passed, just hold on to it because each time I'm gonna come up and read a scripture and we're gonna take it together. We'll see what he does.